The teachings of General Conference are the considerations the Lord would have before us now and in the months ahead. Our marching orders for each six months are found in the General Conference addresses. For the next six months, your conference edition of the Ensign should stand next to your standard works and be referred to frequently. I encourage you to read the talks once again and to ponder the messages contained therein. I exhort you to study the messages of this conference frequently, even repeatedly, during the next six months. You're listening to the Conference Talk Podcast, where it's conference weekend every weekend. Each weekend on this show, we discuss talks from the most recent General Conference of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. We'll share some insights, we'll make some connections, and hopefully have a little bit of fun. I'm your host, Shelby Christensen, and today we'll be discussing Elder Dieter F. Uchtdorf's address, The Prodigal and the Road That Leads Home. And today I'm super excited because I have three guests with us today, my husband, Chris, and then we have our bishop and his wife, Brett and Amy House. Uh, yeah, I'm excited to be here. Thanks for having me, Shelby. Um, I've listened to a couple of your episodes now on your thing and uh, pretty cool. So I'm excited to be here. Thanks. I'm Brent House, and uh, I'm excited also to, to be here, and I love to watch General Conference. I think one of the my favorite traditions when I was a boy was our family would go for a walk between sessions. Sometimes it was cold and windy, but it was a chance to get out and enjoy the beautiful world that we live in while we're listening to General Conference. That's awesome. Um, I'm Amy House, Brent's wife, and I am grateful to be here. I love conference, and I study the conference talks all the time and have for years. And I guess maybe that's my tradition, and I think I've passed it on to our kids, and Brent and I together. I hope we've passed that on to our kids, where we try to use the conference talks as living scripture and and use uh, study them throughout the year or throughout the six months while we wait for the next one um the other i don't know tradition we had is just to take notes and to sit down together and to try to make it a priority i think that's the tradition i mean there's food traditions and lots of there's other things that lots of people do but I just think making it a special time enhances it for kids. Yeah, that's awesome. Thank you. What about you, Chris? Do you have something you want to share? Um, I think, I think our my my favorite like tradition was not only really like growing up, but when I started getting when I got older and started going to college and kind of on my own, uh, I found I'd always was try to figure out themes of like of every session and things um and I always you know like always that always was kind of fun to tie talks together um yeah. and and kind of build like a theme of talks uh, together and and uh and I've always enjoyed doing that because then you kind of kind of you feel like you all you you know like okay the brethren are trying to get these topics across to us because this this session happened to be a lot of talks were about this thing. So that's the kind of thing I enjoyed doing. Thanks. Yeah. Thanks. 
Cool. Well, thanks, guys, again, for being on this um, episode with me. And I'm super excited to discuss this talk. This was one of my favorite talks from a conference. So I guess we'll just jump right in and talk about, you know, maybe talk about the summary of what it was and maybe our favorite points and just kind of go from there. Sounds great. Yeah. I can tell you that I really like this talk because I think this is probably, if not my favorite, then my second favorite story that Jesus tells in the Bible. And I yeah. think it's probably my favorite because so many of the stories you feel like while they apply to us, they it takes some knowledge to understand how they apply to us. Knowledge of like old traditions, you know, like Jewish traditions and things. And then this one, it just feels like like you're sitting in your living room telling you this story um, about, you know, about this, the, about a father and his sons. And it just, and how many times you've heard the story in, re, in real life that Jesus is just sitting here telling you that story. Yeah, I like the point you made. And something that my mission president talked about when I was on my mission, when we were talking about Christ and how he teaches and stuff, because he would get, he would know who he was teaching, right? And so a lot of the different parables and the stories in the Bible are specific to the people that he's teaching at that time. So like speaking to carpenters or speaking to lawyers or whatever, he relates parables to what their understanding is. And this story, like how Pres Elder, sorry, Elder Uchtdorf points out, it's the most recited story out of any story in the Bible in all these languages all around the world, it's because every single person on the earth can understand this story. We can relate to this story because we have all been children. Most of us are parents. So we can in some way or another be able, we or we have siblings that maybe have gone off or we've been the ones that go, go off. Like in some way or another, we can all relate to this story, which I think is really cool. Yeah. I totally agree with that. I feel like it is so relatable. Plus, don't you think inside of yourself, you've been all the players almost like you've been both. Um, and maybe there's even more players if you analyze it even more. But I have felt some rebellion inside of myself. And I have also felt some maybe self-righteous indignation where I'm like, hey, I've done all the right things. Where's my party? Or, you know, I mean, I feel like we've all kind of had that gamut. So maybe it's really a parable for, um, you know, human kind, yeah. different ways you feel different ways that the fallen world, uh, measures and compares and how to fight against that. <clears throat> well, I was going to say, uh, the other thing, the reason why you, you know, so many people relate to it is because it has just so many meanings in it. I mean, you could, you could talk about, you know, sin and repentance. You can talk about forgiveness. It talks about selfishness versus love uh, for others. Uh, yeah. It talks about, um, you know, people who live a rougher life and come back, people who try to live a, you know, a little bit cleaner life. But but I think it tries to show that those not one is better than the other. I think they're it's just different paths and um and how pride comes in different forms. 
Yeah. So because both sons had pride. Um, so that's why it's relatable because we all, you know, it has so many parts to it, which is part of the what, you know, how Jesus taught in his parables is there were many layers to his parables. But this is one where it's just obvious, like it's almost really obvious where all the layers are. And so pretty much everyone on the earth can relate to multiple parts of this parable. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. I think right off the beginning, you know, he just kind of goes to the story of the prodigal son and, uh, yeah. and, but then in, in part of it, he says, uh, after, after the, the son is partying and having a good time and leaves the house and he's out with his friends and things. Uh, I, I love what, uh, um, Elder Uchtdorf says, he says, but the party did not last. It rarely does. Two things happened. First, he ran out of money. And second, a famine swept the land. And I just, you know, I I so, like, when I read that, I was like, how the party did not last. You know, it just, like, you, you think you can carry on in this, in a, in a life of, whether it's sin or life of, life of just carefree where you think you you're you have no con- there's no consequences to my actions I can just live however I want to because I have no consequences and every time life teaches you different you know every single time when you think you can live a life of carefree where you think you have it all put together where you think you have all the money in the world or all the time in the world or or all the health in the world or whatever it is it always comes back full circle and you learn there. We, we have limited time. We have limited health. wealth, we have limited health. And, uh, and you know, it ran out, he ran out of money and then his famine came in and, and, you know, two things there I look at, uh, he ran out of money, which is like, he found his limitations, uh, both of, obviously of his the wealth that he his inheritance that he took he found that his inheritance wasn't going to last forever and and i think that would all just kind of goes all the way through um you can take that so many more examples of well you could switch out he ran out of money he ran out of health whatever it is for our own meaning right but then the second one is something that we can't control and that it was a famine that's what to the land where you know we I mean we always went through a global pandemic with the with the COVID. So now we all so much more relatable to that. Where, you know, you you think you that he thought this inheritance can make him last and then a famine hits. So now no longer is he cannot party anymore. He can't even survive anymore because the whole all the land has a famine. And there's a things that we can control and things we can't control. And he kind of hit reckoning with both of these things in this time. Yeah. And I and just going further down from there, where Elder Uchtdorf said it wasn't just an empty stomach that troubled him; it was an empty soul. He had been so sure that giving into his worldly desires would make him happy, that moral laws were obstacles to that happiness. Now he knew better, and oh, what a price he had to pay for that knowledge! He had to learn a hard lesson. Learn a hard lesson, for sure. Yeah. I like I like how sometimes when we're choosing something, we like to say, 
this only affects me. I'm the only one affected. So it is a form of justification, right? Like, hey, these are my consequences. It's my choice. But not, but there were a lot of people affected by his choices. And I love how um, um, Elder Uckdorf pointed out that no man gave unto him. He highlighted that part of the scripture. You can you can be in a situation, and it sounds like he was, where he was like paying for all of his friends. But then when he ran out of money, nobody, all of his friends, when he ran out of money, nobody was there for him. And I feel like that is actually what happens a lot with Satan. He leaves you flat. He is not mm-hmm. going to come to your rescue. He's not a deliverer. And so one of the most beautiful things about the contrast between that and who Jesus Christ is, is that in spite of our poor choices and our um, lack of foresight, he is a deliverer. He does heal. He, he does all the things that you need. And Satan leaves you flat. He leaves you there on the ground to bleed out. And I just think it's such an interesting contrast that a parable given in this day and time when Christ gave it could show the plan of salvation in that way so clearly. Oh, wow. I like that. You know, if you don't mind, I can say one more thing. No, going going. on, Going on in this, the part that really struck me the very most about this entire talk and has struck me in my study of this parable this time was the part um, where Elder Uchtdorf said, but but hunger, the hunger, loneliness, and remorse simply wouldn't go away until he came to himself, which is a quote from the scripture. And I was thinking about what does that really mean to come to yourself? And I feel like that is the key and crux of almost all of these things that we battle in this life is to remember who we really are and whose we really are. And it, it again strikes me as so poignant that president Nelson has challenged us to think celestially because that perspective really changes so much about your choice, your action, how you see yourself and what you see as either a burden or a gift and or a bread and stone. Um, And I just thought that that's the most important moment is when he came to himself and what himself really was, was a child of God. And he knew it, a child of his father, a son of a family that cared. And I mean, we come to that in so many different ways in our life. And sometimes it's when we're at rock bottom, when we finally come to ourselves. And sometimes as we progress and grow, we don't, we don't necessarily have to hit rock bottom to remember. We try to keep it in our mind. This struggle is real, but I know who God is and I know who I am to God. And that makes a huge difference in how I perceive all that's happening. That's my, Thank my you. favorite part. I love that. I highlighted that too. And just before that, when he talks about how his thoughts returned to his father, like when he was like just broken down to the lowest of lows, like the 
the person he thought of was his father. I, I don't know why I'm getting emotional over it, but like he remembered his dad and he rem remembered, like, even though like the next few lines he's talking about, like, I could not go back to my father and tell him all this stuff that I've done. I could not admit to getting rid of my money. I could not admit to the people in our town, like that I made a fool of myself and made a disgrace of our name. Like I can't do that to them. He still thought of his dad. And then just like what you said, when all said was when all when all was said and done, he came to himself and he's like, okay, he's like, he's my dad. I know I'm his son. I need to go back. Like, and that that takes a lot of getting knocked that far down and being able to realize like that's where I need to be. That's that takes a lot of courage for him to make that, that step to get back to his dad. I'm sure that took a ton, like that would have taken a lot of courage for him to do. Well, and this draws in truth a lot to truth versus error, which I feel like is another indication of how Satan works. There's either shame. Oh, you can't go back. You're too far gone. You're too far mm -hmm. down or, Oh, you're not affecting anyone else. Justification. It's okay. Just live your life. And the truth cuts through that. And it is what holds you in the end. And that is who the Savior is. He is the truth, the light, the way. And, and that is why you have the courage to move forward because of truth. It's so beautiful. And this mm -hmm. parable highlights that in such a beautiful way. It's so good. Yeah, I think great. Uh, one of the things I like to look at is kind of comparing the two sons because they seem so different in the story. You see the one who leaves and asks for his inheritance and blows it all and hits rock bottom and comes back and asks for forgiveness. And then you see the other son who says, I'm going to stay here and do what my <clears throat> father wants me to do. Um, because he knows that if he does that, he can get his father's inheritance in the end. But I think you look at both of them, they both have pride. They both think that they know how they can earn their inheritance from their father. The first son thinks, thinks well, the first son kind of thinks, I've already earned it just by being a son. I'm just going to take it with me and just go have fun with it. Uh, then the, the other son thinks, I'm going to earn it by doing, right. you know, doing what my, you know, just staying here and being obedient, doing these things. And as we know, none of us earn anything. We, ch we choose certainly, but um, in the end, we're all completely reliant upon God and upon Jesus Christ. So he's the one that gives us the inheritance. You know, God gives us that inheritance. We're totally reliant. So they had pride, and then, you know, they both were selfish, and they didn't, you know, I mean, the son, who, the, the prodigal son, he was selfish. He didn't show love for his father and his brother, and he left, and he said, I just want to go do whatever I want. I don't really care about you guys that much. Um, and then the older son, when the, when the younger, or I don't know if they're older or younger, but you kind you kind of see it as that, right? The older one, maybe. But 
but the one, the son who stayed when the when the other son came home, he was being selfish and prideful, and he was thinking, "Oh, I don't, I don't care about this son because they, you know, my brother because he went off and did something wrong, and so I don't love him, I don't care about him." And so, there's a lot of they're very similar, actually, is that they have pride, they have selfishness, and they have to overcome that, and. The father says, you know, he, you know, when the prodigal son comes back, he throws the party. He gives him all these great things, and he basically, he basically welcomes him back in as a son. And then the other son, he says, you, you've stayed with me, and you've done all these things. I'm going to give you everything. So don't worry about it. So, and and you think about this, the prodigal son, you think. And this is coming from the perspective of someone who doesn't go out and live that that rough life and learn those hard lessons that way. But if you love them, you realize that they've paid. The prodigal son paid for his sins. He was he was sleeping with in pig pens and eating their food and you know starving and suffering. So he's already paid for it, you know. So why, when he comes back, are you so upset, right? Because, I mean, he's had the consequences of those things. Hopefully, you know, you would be welcoming them back and saying, I'm sorry you had to go through all that. So let's get you back (laughs) having joy and finding the right part of your, the good parts of life. Yeah, I I was just thinking about how, how the father had to erase his sons for the prodigal son to think about going back to his dad. Like there's different ways people raise their children. Right. And am I raising my children in a way that they may be worried or nervous to come to me about something, but they know that I am their mom and that they are my kid and I love them. Like, am I raising my children in a way that they are not going to feel, they may, like I said, they may be afraid or may feel shame coming to me, but like knowing that I will love them no matter what, like, how am I raising my children? I love where he, he, the dad didn't wait for his son to come to him. Like when he sees him at the, at the end of the road, he ran to him, he ran to him and I was trying to put myself in that perspective as a parent and be like, hey, if I had a child, because my children are young right now, I don't have children that have, you know, gotten into high school or gone, you know, experienced or chosen to experience things that are contrary to what I'm teaching. And I, I like, I worry about that because I, I, I just worry. So sometimes I find myself feeling like I need to be like super strict and make sure that they know exactly what they need to be doing. But at the same time, you have to have that mercy. You need to have that mercy, merciless love attached with the justice that that God so perfectly um, exhibits. But like, what would I do in that instant if my daughter decided to live a life that I didn't agree with or that were contrary to my teachings? Like, how would I respond? Would I still run to her? Would I still throw parties for her. And yeah, I, I have an experience personally, actually, um, 
So I'm, I was baptized when I was 18 um, into the church. And when a few years later, I went through some rough times and uh, I was hanging out with the wrong people. My job was a hard job. Actually, it started with my job. I was a firefighter for the Bureau of Land Management, and I was gone all summer. I wasn't at church, and I stopped paying tithing. That's where it started. And I just, it just kind of domino effect. I wasn't going to church, and um, I started making poor choices. And towards the beginning of the fall, I was actually at lunch with my roommate. And my roommate wasn't a member of the church, but she was a high school friend, and she had known me um, throughout high school and like hanging out with all the members of the church, getting baptized. Like she knew that it was my life and we were at lunch and she goes, she just point blank asks me, what is going on with you? I was like, what are you talking about? She goes, where, what happened to you? Like, where is Shelby? And I was like, this is me. And she's like, this isn't the Shelby that I know. And I was like, are you kidding me? Like, I'm doing everything you're doing. Like, what are you talking about? Like, you would pick, like, you would like tease me for not doing things you were doing. And now you're telling me, like, what are you doing? What are you doing with your life? And she goes, I just realized that that's not who you are. And after that lunch, I just like, it really sat with me. And I was like, oh my gosh. So a couple weeks goes by and um, I decided to go to church. And if, I mean, people know me. I was a front of the church sitter. I sat in the first few rows in church. And when I went to church, I sat in the very back. And we were in the institute building in my hometown. We weren't in an actual church building. It was an institute building where our our, uh, congregation was being held. I stood up in the back. I didn't even sit in a chair. And I was like, okay, I'm going to go to sacrament and then I'm going to leave. And after sacrament, my bishop, I will never forget this bishop. His name is Bishop Parkhurst. He came right to me before I got even close to the door to leave the building. He came up to me. He shook my hand and he looked at me and he says, hi, Sister Roberts. How are you? And I just, I was like, I'm not good. And he goes, let's talk. We went into his office after church and he sat at his desk and he just looked across from me with a smile on his face, like the most loving eyes. And he said, it's okay. And he just talked with me and I cried. I cried and I spilled my whole soul to him. And after that, like, I mean, he helped me get back. You know, I came back to church. He helped me through what I needed to go through. And, but like, it was, I mean, he was the perfect example to me of this father. Like he came to me and he helped me. He threw that party for me. He wanted me back. And so that was just like a special thing for me to reflect on when reading this talk. (laughs) I I think of uh, your story and then the story of here, uh, Brad Wilcox's talk uh, at at a BYU talk with his grace is sufficient where he asks you to, Take a piece of paper and then draw how much, draw a line. How much of that line, how much is, do you have to do compared to what Christ has to do? 
and it, you know everybody draws a line and most people bring their the line to the very edge of the paper yeah you have to do everything you can and he'll fill in the gap right and he's like no that's not the correct answer the correct answer is and he pulls up there's no mark on it he's like he is sufficient like you don't, you know, like his grace is sufficient. It doesn't matter what you do. His grace is sufficient for it all. And in this story and in your story, it, I think it's, 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 you show up into that building and the, you know, the, the son shows up on the road down the street from his dad's house and the dad runs, you know, it's just, it's a Christ is waiting for us just to show up at the door. And when we yeah. show up, he's there. And he's his because his grace is always sufficient. Uh, and then I have one. I thought one. I never. I don't know if I've ever read this verse in the way that it hit me this time. But this time it. it I, yeah. It's uh, what's well, not a verse. Your return will not diminish the blessings of others, for the Father's bounty is infinite. And what is given to one does not, not in the slightest diminish the birthright of others. And what a marvelous thing to hear. Uh, because that one little sentence is exactly what you were saying, Bishop, is I have no need to be selfish because the bounteous bounties and the gifts of God are so endless that I have no need to be uh, be selfish. And in fact, if I'm selfish, I'm limiting my own bounties by being selfish and and limiting the bounties that He will He will bless me with. And uh, this is really cool. Uh, and then further, it says, and then you know, I think it's an important thing to say. Read here that that elder. I keep on saying president, but elder Uchtdorf. Uh, says is I do not pretend that coming back is an easy thing to do. I can testify of that. It may in fact be the toughest choice you ever make. Mm -hmm. And I have to go. I, I know that we kind of went past already past this, but I have to go back up here and I, we have to read how he lays this out because I've never. And I just love the way Elder Ukraf lays this out when the son is struggling with coming back to his father. Uh, he's it, it, he, uh, President Uchtdorf, Elder Uchtdorf says, but to return to my to his father, never. Confess to his village that he had squandered his inheritance, impossible. Face the neighbors who surely had warned him that his that he was disgracing his family, breaking his parents' hearts. Return to his old friends after boasting of how he was breaking free, unbearable. But the hunger, loneliness, and remorse simply wouldn't go away until he came to himself. He knew what he needed to do. And I just, I just love how he structured that. And I think I love that because I've been through that structure. You know, I, you know, in, 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 in Alma, uh, the, one of the footnotes is in Alma that, you know, you know, he says, you know, how wrong is it to be, it's not wrong to be compelled to be humble. You know how righteous it is that that we are compelled to be humbled and then come back to Christ, and uh, it sometimes it takes rock bottom, and people who don't have to live through rock bottom 
and they might look and go, wow, you know, like kind of back to the sun, to the other sun. Oh man, you, now you can get all the blessings and you've come back, whatever. If you've never had to go through that experience of hitting rock bottom and then having to come out of rock bottom, you would never once curse that person. Uh, Because rock bottom, just, it sucks. Rock bottom is not fun. Uh, Rock bottom is where you don't see any of the light of Christ. Rock bottom is your absolute worst moment of your life. And getting out of that is super hard. And it is super tough. Um, But... And I think why I like that one uh, paragraph I read this time is that his bounties are there for us. Regardless of rock bottom or not, his his blessings are there. His grace is sufficient for us all, no matter what. Well, and I think that's the difference between <clears throat> Jesus Christ and Satan is that, you know, we Jesus Christ says, you know, I, I I'm gonna give, you're gonna get everything if you just come back and repent and come in, come unto me, and we can all have that, and we have to lose that selfishness. We have the we have to have charity or Christ-like love for each other. Satan Satan from the beginning taught the opposite of that. He wanted more than everyone, right? He his plan was, I will save all of you. And he was going to save us at a lower level, right? Because we, we couldn't attain the highest level of being right. sa- of exaltation by being forced to do what he wanted us to do. So he would save everyone at a lower level, and then he would he would be way up here, higher than everyone else. That's what he wanted. He he wanted even to be higher than God. He said, "Give me your glory." And so that and that is the difference between charity and pride you know you yeah so yeah that's true that and that just takes me back to the that other point that you really do need to know who god is because he is the guy that elder Uchtdorf says our heavenly father will run to us his heart overflowing with love and compassion he will embrace us place a robe around our shoulders, a ring on our finger, and sandals on our feet, and proclaim, Today we celebrate, for my child who once was dead has come back to life, and heaven will rejoice our return. Because of who God is and who that makes us then, we are his, and he rejoices in every single bit of us. Another thing that I loved about this talk was it helped me understand why the commandment says to love God first and then your neighbor. And I, and I think for one of the first times I realized that because humankind and our fallen nature is so about comparison and measurements, and if you love God first, then you feel safe with who you are. And you know that there isn't comparison. He is not a respecter of persons. You, there isn't a measuring stick that you're not meeting. And once you know that, then you're in a safe and wonderful place to use your agency to love others. And it, like everyone wins, it's synergy in its finest. 
And I just think that's so, this parable shows that in such a beautiful way. And, and Elder Uchtdorf highlights that by, by helping us know who God is and who we are to him. Because who among us has not been there, right? We mm-hmm. all have. And I, I know that as I age, I realize there are layers of rock bottom. Mm-hmm. And you hit it multiple times in your life. Mm-hmm. And it is going to continue. <laughs> but um, I just love that part. Also, the quote from Elder Holland that he quoted that said, it is not possible for you to sink lower than the infinite light of Christ's atoning sacrifice shines. And it reminded me of the quote from The Hiding Place by Corey Tenboom, where she said, there's no pit so deep that God's love is not deeper still. I think about that all the time. Like sometimes when you're beating yourself up mentally, it's nice to put a stop on that and remind yourself that even if you think you're in the lowest pit, God's love is deeper still. There isn't a bottoming out on that. And that's such a wonderful, um, way to hold on. Mm, That's beautiful. Thank you. Just to go off of what you said with the commandments being love God first before we can love our neighbor. When we love God, when we truly love God, we can understand his love for us. And when we can understand his love for us, that's when we can truly have love for others regardless of their their living situation and how they're choosing to live their lives, we can still express that godly love towards them because we understand his love for us. Which I really so like I want to say something just kind of fun here that when we were talking, we've, we've been talking about hitting rock bottom a lot. Yeah. So if you think about, if think, think about an analogy here where um, uh, if you can, if you can live your life, you know, focusing on Jesus Christ and making him your foundation, then when you hit rock bottom, the only the only thing that's left there is Jesus Christ. Oh, yeah. Right? Like he is the rock. And so mm-hmm. when you hit that rock bottom, you like you like all all of your when you hit rock bottom, it means you've tried all these things and nothing works and yeah. you're feeling terrible about everything. Path. And so the, the uh, kind of the analogy is rock bottom is where you've you've tried everything else and now it's only Jesus Christ that can help you at that point. And so you're sitting right on Jesus on on the rock, which is Jesus Christ, and that helps you realize what's really going on as you see that. And then you're hopefully if you have that testimony, you can look at that and say, okay, I have to rely upon Jesus Christ. I can't rely upon any of these other things that got me here. Right. And then he can lift you up at that point. That's so beautiful. And in a, yeah, I've never, that's really cool. I've never put that together. But now as you say it, you know, having, a, you know, in, in a addiction recovery programs, the 12-step pro- uh, process and like AA and things, one of the first, the first, one of the first steps is to, accept a higher power and and a lot of people will go from the first steps to the next steps very quickly um and almost and, and almost always 
you go through the, the first three steps and then you almost always have to go back to the first step. And you keep going back to the first step over and over and over again because you realize that steps five and six are too hard for you to do. And so you have to come back to step one and accept the higher power. And and then you get, go through the steps and then the step five and six is when you start making restitutions of your of what you've done wrong and accepting all the things you've done wrong and making a journal of all the activities you've done and you get to that step and it's too hard to do that. And so you go back to step one. And, and so, and a lot of people in these programs don't have the foundation that, you know, the four of us have in Christ. Um, and I would venture to say that the prodigal son didn't have either. You know, you, you, you know that his father was taught him these things. And the reason why we know this is because he's, because his father is on his knees praying for his son. And, and, you know, every night is praying for a son, praying for a son to return. So that, that's an example of father who, you know, he didn't just start doing that. He's always done that. And so here's the prodigal son. He's, he has a foundation, I would say, of like us being taught the traditions of his father, being taught these things. And he's what a wayward. And so many people don't know that rock bottom is Christ. They have to find rock bottom is Christ. And I, I witnessed, the, witnessed that in with people who have been through the recovery program of having to continuously come back to step one. And even myself, who was brought up in the church, who had a foundation of Christ, uh, went on a mission, did all these things that we're told to do and are the th things that we that will make us better people and make us, you know, make us vulnerable from the sins and invulnerable from the fiery darts of, the, of Satan. And still they crack your armor and, and you find yourself, uh, you know, drowning. And, and I, even I, I'm not saying I'm perfect, I'm not, that's not what I'm saying, but even like, even with all that foundation I had, found myself unable to get past steps five, six, and seven because I hadn't truly understood step one. And that is accepting Christ as my savior. And only at that moment, rock bottom, like you said, Bishop, when I realized that my rock is Christ, did all of a sudden the steps I could ever get past. These are easy steps. These are super simple. Yeah. Well, and that, that truth cuts through the shame. Like shame is usually what stops you from being able mm -hmm. to make a list of all your sins because it's so, it's so hard for your brain to allow you to do that because it feels so vulnerable and your brain's like fights against that type of lack of protection for your spirit, you know? And I feel like you have to come to a place where you actually can see truth in a way where you know it's okay. Satan makes you feel like <clears throat> if you look at that truth, your whole world will fall apart. And mm -hmm. God says, look at this truth to find freedom. It's such an interesting message that they're so opposite of each other and how easy it is to believe the false beliefs. Mm -hmm. I'm grateful.
for God and for Jesus Christ. Me too. And there's, I mean, there's one last part I wanted to share. Um, going back to when you, Amy, were talking about, like, just because, you know, you return doesn't mean it's not going to be hard or doesn't mean that we won't hit rock bottom multiple times, right? At the, towards the end of his talk, Elder Uchtdorf says, no, our path will not be free from grief, sorrow, or sadness, but we came this far by the word of Christ with unshaken faith in him, relying wholly upon the merits of him who is mighty to save. And together we will press forward with a steadfastness in Christ, having a perfect brightness of hope and a love of God and of all people. Together we will rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. For Jesus Christ is our strength. Amen. Amen. Yeah. Jesus Christ <laughs> is our strength. Christ is our strength. Yes. I love that. Thank you so much, everybody, for tonight. That I feel like that was a beautiful discussion. I really enjoyed it. Thank yep. you for having us. It yep. was such a nice way to spend time. Yes. Yeah, thank you absolutely. for letting us tell you some of our thoughts. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> I love, I love listening to you guys share your thoughts. Like you, I Same. absolutely just <laughs> take it all in every time you share thoughts. I love it. So thank you. I feel the same way. All right. Bye. <laughs> Thanks again for listening to another episode of the Conference Talk Podcast. This episode, we discussed Elder Dieter F. Uchtdorf, the prodigal and the road that leads home. If you enjoyed this episode, give us a five-star rating. You can find us on iTunes, Spotify, and everywhere you get podcasts. You can find links to all of our podcast platforms on our website, conferencetalk.org. ConferenceTalk.org is also where you can follow us on social media. Drop us a comment, check out the show notes, find the resources we mentioned in the episodes, and learn more about us, your host. If you want to follow me, Shelby Christensen, you can find me at sheldc 8 on Instagram. Big thanks to our podcast guests, Chris, Amy, and Brett for joining us today. While we always appreciate new followers, it's better to follow the prophet and the apostles themselves. And remember, although we love speaking about the church and our leaders, we do not speak for them. Everything said on this podcast represents our own personal opinions. Join us next week for more personal opinions on the Conference Talk podcast.